There is no shortage of condemnation in the world. We regularly hear from other people about all of our faults, about all the ways in which we do things wrong or we've done things wrong. We also find we have no shortage of condemnation for ourselves. That for many of us, we find and see all of the faults within ourselves. As Richard Foster talked about in one of his books, he talked about how we see the faults in who we are. We maybe look at ourselves in the mirror and are disappointed in what we see. Maybe in the shape of our nose, the color of our hair. Or we look at the scale and we find disappointment there. We find disappointment in who we are in terms of our talents or our gifts. Maybe we find disappointment or condemnation in where we are. We look at the stage of life we're at, maybe how far we've gotten in our job or the struggles we face there, how we're doing in school, or maybe the struggle is more in terms of what we do or the things we haven't done. And it doesn't even always have to be moral failures. It could be what we do in terms of missed opportunities. Maybe the time we bought something we shouldn't have bought or we sold something we shouldn't have sold. We took a wrong job. We made a poor decision about something. And we find ourselves beating ourselves up for it. We find ourselves put down by people around us for our faults and for our errors, for those same kind of just day-to-day mistakes as well as our sins. And we do the same thing to ourselves. And so then we come to the words of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer today, which we're looking at where we pray, forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive. And we want to wonder, do I need to be reminded? Do I need to say this prayer so regularly? Do I need to be regularly reminded of my faults and of the ways that I have failed? Because everyone else is doing that for me. I've already got enough of it. Now do I need to add one more time, one more reason to remember the ways that I have failed? And so sometimes all those things can make it hard to hear those words. But what we want to remember is Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And part of that is praying for forgiveness. And so we're going to be looking at this wording, this phrase for today, and see how it shapes us and how it helps us understand the nature of God and who He is, as well as our relationship to Him. And so we're exploring the Lord's Prayer. It's what we've been doing for the last few weeks, looking at this prayer that Jesus gave his followers and gave to us as a model, as a framework for prayer, and as an invitation into a life, into a way of living. Not simply words to be said or words to be repeated, but into a life to be lived. This is what kingdom living, what life under King Jesus through his power looks like. And so... We're looking at this and we want to spend some time with these words to be reminded and to dwell on them. And as we begin, first we want to notice, as I alluded to just a little bit, or you heard me mention earlier, there's these different ways that sometimes we say it. Depending on the church or tradition you grew up in, maybe you say, forgive us our sins, or maybe you say debts, or maybe you say trespasses. We want to say, well, why do we have all these different versions? I'm going to do a video a little bit later in the week and we'll take a deeper dive, a longer, 
more intense look at it, but I want to mention it briefly here because it is a question that many people have about what's going on. Maybe you've been to service at another church and we, people have started saying the Lord's Prayer and all of a sudden you realize everyone else is saying something different than you are. So what's going on? Well, first we realize that in our Bibles, we have two different accounts of the Lord's Prayer, one in Matthew and one in Luke. Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. And we realize this shouldn't bother us. Jesus taught for three years in hundreds of towns on numerous occasions, so it wouldn't be surprising that he didn't teach with the exact same words each and every time. That he maybe shaped it a little bit differently to his audience. And even Matthew and Luke used these words and recorded from different times and different places for different purposes. And so some of it we find simply in these different accounts of these. But both are the Lord's Prayer. As one pastor noted, they're both prayers. They're both taught by the Lord. So they're both the Lord's Prayer, even though they have slightly different words. But if you were to take a dive and, and begin to explore the language that's used, you see there is some slightly different language. It doesn't always show up in our English translations. And that doesn't mean we can't trust our English translations. When we have an English translation, we recognize that there are scholars, committees of scholars that have studied and devoted their lives to learning the original languages and are striving to translate it from another language into our language, which is where these challenges come in. But if we were to go back to the original Greek, we see some different words are used. In the Gospel of Matthew, the language used as Jesus says, forgive us our, and fill in the blank, the words he used are more along the lines or have a connotation and implication, a general usage of being related to debts or to obligations. Whereas if we go over to Luke, he says, forgive us our, and then he uses a word that's usually translated sin, but then as he goes on and says, as we forgive those, that second word is the similar word to what Matthew uses. It has to do with debts or obligations. And then to make it more complicated, if it isn't complicated enough, back in Matthew chapter 6, after the teaching of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus goes on and says, For if you forgive other people when they, and you fill in the blank, sin against you, but the word often there, used there, is often translated as trespasses. And so we get these three words of sin and debt and trespass. And then we have tradition within our different denominations, within our different churches, and those words come down and they're used. And I think there's value in all three words. All three words have different nuances, different implications, and maybe help us think about it in different ways. Sin is a, is a missing of the mark, a, a violation of a moral law. A trespass is a, a crossing of a boundary, and a, a debt reminds us of an obligation and something that's due. And we heard that even in the parable we read earlier about this servant who forgives a great debt. And so we see what forgiveness looks like when someone is released from debt. And so it's maybe even helpful for you as you pray this prayer to sometimes use those different words. If you're in the habit of using sins, try and use debts sometime. If you're in the habit of using trespasses, use the word sins and see how those different language makes you think about things a little bit differently. And so that's enough on that. So we want to turn now and we recognize, he says, when Jesus is teaching this, first of all, he says, forgive us our. And so there's a, there's a plural there. We're going to come back to that 
a little bit later. And he gives us these as a way to do things. And we want to think about how this prayer, saying this prayer, shapes and molds us. Because we recognize our daily habits, our daily actions, shape and mold the way we think about the world and the way we understand things. And so if we have a habit of going to the mall to browse and, and look through, or, well, I don't know if anybody goes to the mall anymore, but maybe gets online or, or flips through catalogs and, and looks for things to buy, that regular habit begins to shape and mold how we think and how we understand things. Maybe it begins to shape us to think that having more things will bring us joy. Or to use another example of someone who watches pornography regularly, that regular watching of pornography begins to rewire the way they think and the way they view the world. It begins to shape the way they think about intimacy and personal relationships. And we can also have positive things. As we do positive things, those begin to shape and retrain us. And so there's these practices or these habits. And so we want to begin to think about how does this habit, how does this practice of regularly saying this prayer, of regularly saying, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And through most of the sermon here, I'm going to use the word sin instead of trespasses because I sometimes get a little tongue-tied on trespasses. And so sin simply comes out a little bit easier. But if you need to fill in one of those other words, sin, debt, trespasses, as we're talking about that. And so one of the things that praying this prayer regularly does for us and the way it shapes us is it begins to help develop a deeper view of sin inside of us. And what I mean by that is sometimes we feel we have progressed in the life. I mean, there are sometimes where we, there are things that we used to do, habits we used to have that we've moved beyond. Maybe it was the language we used. Maybe it was the way we used money. Maybe it was the way we treated particularly individuals. Maybe it was the anger response that came from us. And we feel like we've moved beyond that. And that's part of the Christian life is we do grow. We grow and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we change. And I can look back on my life and I think most of you can look back on your life and say, there are those things that I used to do that I don't do anymore. But reminding ourselves of the fact by praying this prayer that we still haven't achieved everything, that we're not perfect yet. And so this is one of those ways that we do that. And so we read earlier from uh, the letter 1 John, where it says, if we feel think we are without sin, we, we're lying. And so this is a way to remind ourselves that we haven't achieved perfection yet. It's a way to remind ourselves that we're still on the road. We're still on the journey. We're still on the path. God is still bringing us along in this process of making us completely holy or fully sanctified. And so there's this journey we're on. And saying this prayer simply reminds us that we haven't reached the end yet. It's also a way to keep us from religious pride. That sometimes when we've gotten better in life, when we have stopped doing certain things, when we've, when our spirit has grown because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and so we no longer struggle with sins that we used to struggle with, sometimes that can bring up within us another sin, and that's the sin of pride. 
we can look and see, I've managed to overcome this. And we look at others who haven't, and we begin to develop a sense of pride. But by regularly praying this, by regularly saying, Father, forgive us our sins, we're reminding ourselves that we're not there and we shouldn't be looking down on others. And also as we pray this, we can simply be reminded that, yeah, we do miss the mark each and every day. And so we often use a prayer here, and it's a regular part of many congregations, the language of, you know, we have sinned against you in word, thought, and deed by the things we have done and the things we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. You see, when we begin to get this idea of perfection, that we've fully reached it, all we have to think back is to when Jesus said, what is the greatest command? And he said, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, whole soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so on those days or weeks when I think, well, I did pretty good this week. I, I didn't kill anyone. I didn't steal any money. I didn't rob a bank. All these different things. You think, I didn't do those things. But then I say, well, wait a minute. Did I love God? Oh, yeah, I loved God. But with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, I said, no, no, I've still got somewhere to go. And so it's a way to keep us about our regular, or a, a better view, not a regular, but a better view, a deeper understanding of our own sin. And then we move on to that second part of Jesus' teaching, did I love my neighbor as myself? All of a sudden I realize I'm, I'm in desperate need. And it, so it gives us a good view, a, a deeper view, a better understanding of our sin, but it also reminds us that we don't stop there. But it reminds us, we say, forgive us that we're confessing these things, that we're giving them up to God. We're not making excuses. We're not pointing away, but we're deflecting. But as we do that, we're realizing that God does offer us forgiveness. So it's not simply a journey into beating ourselves up. And that's why it's so important that we begin that journey, how Jesus begins this prayer. And I've talked about this some of the other weeks, but there's a deliberate, intentional way that Jesus orders this prayer. And we begin the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It says, Our Father. And so we begin with recognizing that God loves us deeply. And we have to begin in that place before we come to the place where we say, forgive us our sins. We have to begin knowing that we are deeply loved by God to enter into the time of sin. Confession, of, not, to enter, not to enter into the time of sin, but to enter into the time of confession because when we know we are deeply loved, it allows us to be free. It allows us to be honest. We know we will be received with grace. And we also know we receive forgiveness. And so Jesus is teaching us a prayer where he's not saying, Father, here's all the really bad things I did this week. Where it's saying, Father, forgive us. And so we're coming to God and we're confessing, we're admitting these things, but we're also seeking God's forgiveness and knowing and trusting in his good love and his good grace that we will receive that forgiveness. So this prayer is based on that. It gives us a deeper view of sin, but it also gives us an even more immense reminder of God's deep 
and abiding love for us. Because while praying this reminds us we are sinners, it also reminds us that we are loved by Jesus and that through his death on the cross, we are forgiven. But we also recognize that when we pray it, we're praying not just about our personal sins. It's not, forgive me my sins, as I also forgive those who sin against me, but forgive us our sins. It's recognizing this idea of corporate sin, that sin is much bigger than just us. And so there's a couple different ways we can think about this idea of forgive us our sins. One is simply a reminder that even as Jesus prayed when he was dying on the cross and he looked at the soldiers who were crucifying him, when he looked at the religious leaders who had propagated a false trial against him, when he looked at those who had abandoned him, he said, Father, forgive them. That we can pray this prayer, forgive us our sins, and we can think about others and we can seek and ask God's forgiveness for them. Now they have to seek that forgiveness on their own, but there's a sense in which we're praying and recognizing the sinfulness in the world. It's also a prayer that talks about the ways there are systemic evil in the world. There is systemic injustice. There are things that go beyond my personal faults and my personal foibles. And so that language is often used of systemic sin, things that are built into systems. And I think even in the Bible talks about this, there's these words that Paul uses and other biblical writers use of the principalities and the powers, that there's something deeper beyond just my personal choices. But there's things that go on in terms of when we think about incarceration in our justice system here in the United States, when we think about things like human trafficking, that those are more than just individual choices, but there's an entire system that's at work. And sometimes that system is at work within nations, it's at work within organizations. And so when we say, forgive us our sins, it's also an invitation by Jesus to look at what's that bigger picture? What are those things that are going on that go beyond individual actions, things that are going on? So within our own country, we can even consider the topic of racism, that there are individual racist acts, but racism is also something that pervades our nation, and shows itself in many ways. And so we were reminded of that this week when the video was released of Ahmad Arbery's killing and how there was something that was going on in the world. Yes, it was the individual choice of two men. And granted, we don't know all the details and all the, you know, we're still, there's still investigations going on, but we can recognize that within the system of the United States, there is something going on where there has been a distorted view of how we see people. And we call it systemic sin because it's taught, it's learned, it's grown by different things. And so I know as I grew up, I heard jokes, I heard phrases, I heard words used that caused me to think about people in different ways. By the jokes that I heard at school, by the things that were said, by things that were all around me, by a system that existed, I developed a particular view of people with different colored skin than myself. And it's taken a long time and I'm still progressing that when I look at someone, I begin to develop a different view. And so 
we see these same sort of things happening within the system the United States and in other parts around the world, and that's just one example of it. And again, we shouldn't go to just one end or the other where we say it's just systemic sin or it's just individual sin, but to begin to listen and to see where those different things are. But so when Jesus says the words, forgive us our sins, it's an invitation to examine ourselves and our own faults, but it's also a way to think about what are these systems of evil? What are these things that we need forgiveness for? In some church systems, it's a system of where priests and pastors abused members of their congregation and there was a system that protected them, that moved them to other congregations or to other parishes where things were pushed under the rug, where sometimes there was pushback against those who brought up these issues. And so that's a system. It's not simply a matter of individual choices, but a system. And so when Jesus says, forgive us our sins, it's an invitation to think about those kinds of corporate sins, those things in which we all participate. But when Jesus says it, he says, forgive us here our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so sometimes we read that, and so we're kind of moving on. We've passed our owns to our forgiveness of others. And we might read that and say, was Jesus saying that I have to do this in order to receive God's forgiveness? No, we don't earn, we don't merit God's forgiveness. What's going on here is not a matter of forgiving others so we can be forgiven. We don't earn God's forgiveness. This is about how we are able to forgive others because we have been forgiven by God. That as we receive God's grace, it comes into us and the grace and forgiveness we extend to others is a result of having been forgiven by God. Forgiveness is a gift that we receive. And God's love, His forgiveness that we receive enables us to forgive others. We could say it in some sense that it's a, a symbol, a picture of having fully understood God's love and grace is that one of the consequences of that is that we live it out. And so in that story that we read earlier from the Gospel of Matthew, the story of the, the two servants and the one is forgiven this great debt, but then fails to go out and forgive the other one. It's saying he didn't really understand what it meant to forgive, that being forgiven empowers him to forgive others. And, and it's a call, it's, a, it's a, something that transforms and changes so that he would forgive others. And so this phrase, you know, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven others, isn't saying that we merit God's forgiveness, but it's a call to say when we're kingdom people, when we're fully immersed in this life that Jesus has given us, not only do we receive forgiveness, but we will be people who extend forgiveness. Jesus invites us all to pray this regularly, to remind us of our need for Him, to remind us that we need to be forgiven, to remind us that we do sin against Him in word, thought, and deed by the things we do and the things we leave undone, by the things we say and the things we leave unsaid. And so we need Jesus desperately. And so Jesus gives us a prayer to remind us of that. But more importantly, there were words that remind us that He loved us and He saved us, that He forgives us through the death, His death on the cross. They're not 
words of condemnation. They're not words of condemnation, but instead words of grace where we can come to Jesus and be forgiven. And they're also words that invite us to live out a Jesus-shaped life. A Jesus-shaped life in which we forgive others. And so may this prayer be for you a shaping and transforming event. As you pray and say, forgive us our sins, debts, trespasses, as we also forgive those who sin against us, our debtors, those who trespass against us. May it shape you to know your need for a Savior, but more importantly, that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus, and that He loves you, and His grace is extended to you, and that forgiveness is available to you through Him. That's the prayer that Jesus gives us. May this prayer remind you that you are deeply loved by Him and that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. And now I invite you as we join in our closing song of worship to remind ourselves of that, that our sins have been washed white through the blood of Jesus. Amen.